Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Before today's episode on the terror, we begin, as ever, with an extract from the logbook of the whaler Swan of Hull. She's trapped in the ice off the west coast of Greenland in the spring of 1837. These readings that begin each of our episodes come from a transcription of the logbook held in the archives of the Caird Library in the National Maritime Museum. The transcription has been made especially for this podcast. You are the first people ever to hear these words read aloud. This podcast episode is then itself a little piece of maritime history. The last we heard, they had sent a boat party across the ice in a bid to secure help from a Danish settlement, but then, just five days later, found only two of those 15 men alive, struggling to get back to the ship. They are now in shock at that failure. One of the party, Daniel Knight, has a severe injury to his leg. The ice is as dangerous as ever, though there are more signs of spring. Friday, 7th of April. Strong breezes with the same intent. The ship drifted south through a thicket of immense bergs. Some of them which lie to the southward of us give us great uneasiness. The ship driving right in that direction. A 250 and 120 gallon shakes cut up this day. Monday, 10th of April. Four part of this day continues with light variable winds and clear weather. Latter part strong breezes. The ship driving off to the west. Several seabirds, malamocks, i.e. fulmars, fulmaris glaciari, were seen this evening, being the first we have seen since September last. A 280 and 90 gallon shakes got up for fuel this day. Thermometer 8 degrees below zero. Latitude by observation 70 degrees by 21 north. Tuesday the 11th of April. Strong breezes the whole of the day with clear weather. The ship driving through a thicket of bergs, round one of which she has made a complete circle, and at some time was only a few ships' lengths off, yet providently we have escaped uninjured. During this night, the mercury sunk into the bowl of the thermometer, the greatest altitude during the day being 10 degrees below zero. Today we are exploring the history of the terror. I hope you've all been watching it on the BBC recently. A chilling tale based on one of polar exploration's deepest mysteries, directed by the excellent Ridley Scott. 
That TV series is set on the Terror's last and fateful voyage, when, in 1845, under the command of Sir John Franklin and alongside another ship, the Erebus, the Terror sails into the ice off the west coast of Greenland in search of the Northwest Passage. Both the ships were beset by ice, but the crew stayed with them for more than a year until abandoning the ships in April 1848. By then, Franklin and more than 24 sailors had died. The survivors attempted to walk to the Canadian mainland and were never seen again. The TV series is a fictional and fantastical account of what might have happened to the men. The truth is that we know very little indeed about their plight, and it remains one of the biggest mysteries of maritime history. The Terror and Erebus were last sighted by Europeans on the 25th of July 1845. That's two years and nine months before the final and failed attempt to reach land. Today I'm talking to Ed Williams-Hawks. Ed lives in Topsham in Devon, a village on the banks of the X River that was once a busy shipbuilding centre. Ed has been an amateur and professional navigator on high-speed record and race boats for many decades. When he's not driving at breakneck speed, Ed likes nothing more than talking about his one passion, the life and career of HMS Terror. I met him in Topsham to find out a little more, and in particular regarding Terror's career before the Franklin Expedition. Here he is. So, Ed, we're sitting here in a, in a wonderful room above the Salutation Inn in Topsham, surrounded by pictures, magnificent pictures of Medina. ships. Uh, yeah, you just pointed out a wonderful one of a, of a, of a vessel box hauling. Um, such a deep maritime heritage here, but there's no shipbuilding going on now. So what do we know about the history of shipbuilding in Topsham? Well, to correct you, there is, my son is actually building boats in the edge of Topsham, but... Um, the history of Topsham shipbuilding goes back many times. But, um, you know, one way I look at history is voices from the past. And I've spent a long time in the past listening to my grandmother. And she was born before the aeroplane, before the Titanic. Now, her grandparents would have been alive the time I'm interested in, which is the Napoleonic time and onward a bit. But shipbuilding went on long before that, even the Armada. But Robert Davy, whose son owned this building, built with the family business 121 ships. Wow. And many of them as what they called a merchant yard building for the Royal Navy. Do we know whereabouts in Topsham they were built? Well, they had six yards at the bottom of town, they had rivers meet. What we call, what I call Bishop's Key, which was called, now called Strand Court. Um, there were yards up through. They had the Passage House Yard, just upstream from so here. All along the seafront. You were describing all along the top. Yeah, the but top also front. Glass House and Gulpit. Up at Cantersweer, which was part of Topsham. So that's much further up mm. the up the river towards Exeter. And the origin was lime burning. Um, James Davy and Robert Davy were lime burners and made a lot of money out of it. And they started maintaining the stone boats, getting agreements and purchasing quarries in St Mary Church and Brixham and bringing limestone in. And then they started building limestone boats. 
And Davy started building ships at Limston, actually, next to the whaling company uh, off Greenland, you know, where they used to store the whalers in the winter. And um, then he moved up to... So Limston's Glasses. is further up the river for those... No, down, who, downstream. Sorry, downstream, for yeah, those people yeah. who don't know, don't know the X. So we've yeah. got a kind of a sense of shipbuilding going along right from almost up by Exeter all the way down, yeah. down towards Exmouth. But the Davies were a family who were above the sort of amateur triers, one-off boats. They built big time and the Admiralty respected them and they were the only local family in that era who didn't weren't penalised by the mulked. What's the mulked? The mulked is... The Admiralty were very fair. They made a contract to build ships, sometimes commissioning six ships in a go, you know, locally. And they would pay a big sum in advance and they would have a retainer of, I believe, around 10%. But if you didn't hit the contract date, you were effectively fined heavily. Mm -hmm. And it could go on to even a negative fine below what they should pay you. And it bankrupted many, many builders, virtually all of them, other than Davy at that era. Right. Um, but one of them was the good old Topsham ship HMS Terra, whose motto is Vobus non nobus. And that means, and it summarizes the whole era of the ship, and it was the most amazing ship for you, not us. Nice. Isn't that um, wonderful? It is. Anyway, she was launched along with two other ships at the same time, Adder, Clinker, Terra. And they, they would take them down in convoy, well, in that case, to Portsmouth to be, you know, finally rigged up and um, sorted out. First skipper to be appointed of our Terra was a chap called Sheridan, and he was ordered to join the War of 1812 fleet. There was a Bermuda fleet under, I'm terrible on pronunciation, Cochrane, is he called? Cochrane, yeah. Um, so this is a British fleet operating for the War of 1812, but sailing out of Bermuda. Yeah. And the War of 1812 is a bit of a misnomer because we're talking of, she was launched 13th of June in 1813, and she went off in 1814. Okay. And um, they'd spent about seven and a half grand building, uh, um, final fitting, six grand but in a total life, to summarise, over 70 grand was spent on that ship, which yeah. is an absolute fortune. And she was un an unusual ship, wasn't she? She was unusually big, unusually strong. Not totally unusual, but she was built as a bomb vessel. And in, in Terra's instance, I think she had a 10-inch and a 13-inch mortar just centrally placed in the ship. And almost double scantling. You know, all, all yeah. the timbers and everything would be doubled up. 200-pound projectile. Um, so the force that must exert would be immense, so you have to build a ship that's yeah, strong enough to handle yeah, it. Yeah, um, and she was strong, strong. So you've got this bomb vessel then. Um, she's been um, sent out to Bermuda to take part in the War of 1812. Yeah. What do we know about her um, during that war? Well, the first job she had was to go along the eastern seaboard of the States. And lots of prize money was earned by the officers. They were getting 40 grand apiece, first-class officers, and... Um, there was plenty of prizes awarded to Terra, and um, that's interesting. She's earning prize money as a bomb vessel because she's yeah. And, and how does that work? Even if the admiral ain't in sight of the fleet, but anybody in sight of a, an action, if there's a prize that's sold, 
and then the thing survives surprise agent because they used to nick it all. <laughs> um, it goes to the crew in in varying amounts right. of rank. Yeah. So they did very well there and, and took part yeah, in did. some really important actions. Yeah, and McHenry was the famous one, um, Baltimore, and um, the evening before the bombardment, um, Francis Keyes came on board the flagship, the Tonant, and he, he gave a good argument to free a lawyer mate of his who was been imprisoned, in fact, for arresting two British soldiers who had been drunk and disorderly. Mm. But he showed letters from the British saying how he'd supported him and he wasn't political or, you know, a member of the side. And the tribunal said, we'll release him. But I'm sorry, Mr. Keyes, we can't release you just yet because we're about to bombard. You've got to stay on board. And he watched the bombardment from where the the bridge is now um, going across the river. You know, the flagship obviously had to keep safe and kept back. And um, terror was alongside a boat called Erebus. Erebus was on her last voyage, and she was an interesting boat built by Thomas Owen at Strangcourt in Topsham as a fire ship, then converted to what they called a Congreve rocket vessel, where sliders for rockets were put in instead of gun ports. And um, she, she was one of only two made, and the other one never crossed the Atlantic. So she was the only rocket vessel over there, alongside, of, I think, five bomb vessels. And they bombarded, and Congreve loved the Congreve rockets, and he was, they were firing them in. And you could say the action was a complete disaster. Mary Pickerskill made a 30-foot silk flag and raised it up, and they never shot it down. And, you know, that's still hanging in New York. Um, so we've got and, the terror meeting Erebus at Baltimore. Yeah, and Erebus was on our last voyage. And the one that is not nearly as warranted praise as terror, but so the one the books have been written about and everything was... Um, built in Pembroke. And anyway, Keyes wrote a poem, and that was later put to music, and it became the American National Anthem. Oh, and right. anyway, um, Erebus came back to be um, broken up, and um, when um, Sheridan got back to Bermuda, he was kept with the fleet, and the chapel Mawson took over. He was a very interesting chap, became a prime member of the anti-slavery um, council and um, big railway man, director of a lot of um, railway enterprises which were just beginning to start up. And um, she came back and she was put in ordinary. Then um, in 1821, she was back working in a Topsham family, the Luscombs, um, the commander William Frank Fletcher became skipper. And he was married to Elizabeth Luscombe, big Devon family. In 1824, um, Captain Abuthnot became skipper. And he took terror on an interesting voyage, joined the Harry Neal's Mediterranean fleet. Now, Harry Neal was known as the King of Lymington. He had negotiated the um, Norm Mutiny Peace. 1797. And he was a good a good negotiator, but known as a bit of a, a wally by some, but he wasn't. Now, they were summoned 
to sort out the Corsairs, Algiers. Yeah. Um, um, terror became part of the second siege of Algiers. And, so um, similar to her work at Baltimore, you know, standing off bombarding. Yeah, with a bit city. of difference because she was towed in under the battlements after it was all caused because the Kabyles were racially hated Arab group by the Corsairs, and they ended up working in the French consulate and the British consulate. And um, there was a bit of uprising, you know, often promoted by the, the leader of the day of Algiers. And um, they went to the French consulate and demanded the Kabaks. The consul came out with them and led them through the gate. So they were all murdered. So they go to the British consul. The consul goes to the gate and he said, you're not coming in here. You know, this is British property and we're not giving our stuff away. And they said, oh, yes, we are. And he said, well, you know the consequences. And they did. And um, anyway, a, a fleet of um, vessels was under Harry Neal, went there and terror went into bombard. And she was towed by HMS Lightning. And it was the first ever action of a naval steam vessel in, in a war situation. First ever. And she towed terror under the battlements to bombard. So um, very, a very effective, you know, um, strong-arming vessel yeah. for bombarding and, and, you know, the threat of sea yeah. power. And, and the most important thing was the day apologised to the king yeah. of England. So 1828... She, again, was involved with the Lisbon fleet. And um, she was loaded up under David Hope, skipper. 29th of January, 28, she left to go to the Mediterranean. And um, they had overloaded her, and she was wrecked 70 miles south of Lisbon. Um, there's some very interesting stories there. There was, I think, £27,000 in then value of gold specie to go to Malta, which, which was worth to... like £20 million plus, I don't, yeah. you know, a colossal amount of money. And they had to get all the ship's boats were lost. The back was broken, the rudder stock and everything was pushed up. Would you know, did she hit a reef? Did she, did she run ashore? What happened? She hit a beach with two other ships, oh, okay. all wrecked on the same night. Yeah. And it was recommended she was sold as a wreck. The, the nearest navy was Lisbon, and the Lyra came round under a name that's come up on telly recently, James Fitzjames, who, um, interesting character, who, who, who ended up on Skipper of Erebus. Mm. And the carpenter refused to leave the ship and he said I can repair this and it ended up for a hundred guineas she was repaired and thank goodness she was brought back. So a close scrape there, yeah. <laughs> nearly lose the terror. And but... then there were 12, well some people say 20 but um, I've got records of five but there was a lot of whalers lost in the ice and they hadn't heard from them and it was decided to set up a, um, a rescue mission and um, Captain Belcher was ordered to get her ready for Arctic work right. to do this rescue. And Ross actually was going to lead Erebus. This is the Pembroke Erebus, which is going to be broken up 
And um, they stopped the breaking up and said, do both of them. And this okay. was the, the terror and Erebus that went on to Franklin's expedition. And Belsch, um, along with a lot of our other Arctic officers, um, was a fascinating character. He was quite unpopular in parts of the Navy, along with quite a few other Arctic officers, like, um, but known as a real ladies' man and a bit outspoken and um, all the rest of it, but innovative. And he, he sorted cold sidings to terror. What does that mean? That um, they put three-inch fur in oh, a okay. wall and yeah. they put coal dust and special lightweight coal in to act, like and the, the specific gravity was lighter than water, so it would give flotation, but it would give huge compressive strength yeah. and um, a bit of insulation and all other positive things. But what it wasn't for was to fire any boilers or um, no. later engines. It, it was done as a safety thing. It was one of the first vessels to have watertight bulkheads put in under belchers. They had laminated wood where they put planks in with, like, the consuta system that Saunders became famous for, you know, 80 years later. And what um, was that? Well, to have sort of glued and fixed planks with waterproof membranes in, you right. know, a laminate system. Okay. And because shipbuilding was changing, and one of them became iron ships. Before that, it was called iron composite building, and they put iron frames in Terror as well to give her extra strength. And, you know, things like they had a triple strength sails. But, um, well, I'd love to know how they were built. Yeah, yeah but especially it, when they were frozen with ice. Triple strength. Uh, and they had double glazing. The, <laughs> the, the, the officer's cabin was double glazed. And That's I, fantastic. I reckon that could have been the first ever vessel to be double glazed. But, but still a sailing vessel. Yeah. Totally a sailing vessel. The steam engine wasn't dreamt about then. They, they put in a useless steam boiler to heat it. But the other thing was, I put my hands out, and from fingertip to fingertip is six foot. They made her bows eight foot solid wood thick. Wow. She was the first ever icebreaker. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Anyway, um, Ross ended up taking another ship up to try and rescue. The whalers escaped themselves. Um, the first time Ross got into the ice pack, he broke the bowsprit. So, it was, but not in terror. Not in terror. Not in no. terror. But terror has been prepared for the ice, and it, her, she's waiting yeah. for her time. So then, um, yeah, terror was sort of put in ordinary then, and she ended up as the tender for HMS Howe in Portsmouth, I believe. I wonder why they spent all of that money and time getting her ready and not taking yeah. her up. Well. Because um, it was too late. It took too long to get it ready. That's I see. The main I see. Reason. Yeah, yeah. And in, in 1828, 1829, Captain Back became skipper. His nickname was Beck and Call. He, 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 he had been with Franklin 
did the Pack River expedition when a bit of cannibalism went on, and he was involved with a, a duel with a midshipman, and it was over a, a, an Eskimo girl called Greensleeves who ended up pregnant with the, with the other party, Hope. And Hope, in fact, was murdered in the end, and the the doctor executed the Canadian voyageur who did it. So let's go back to back, and then where did where did he go? Um, he was commissioned to go up to the Arctic, and there was lots of um, stories for reasoning, but one of them was the Admiralty had um, a big belief of the inner warm sea. There were people like Scoresby who... Um, what does that mean? What does the inner warm sea mean? Well, if you look at early maps, there's like four islands, and, and the North Pole and the South Pole are um, a warm sea. They, they thought the Northwest Passage went over the top, mm-hmm. and um, it's called Polinia. Fascinating stories on that. So let's get back to she's she's up in the Arctic with Back, and they have she has a successful career up there. Well, it, it wasn't really successful. It was a bit of a disaster. She was stuck in the ice for eleven and a half months, but they they had good go between with the Eskimos, and um, she got completely pinched up in the ice and broke her back. Her whole back end came up. They had to chain her up. And she was saved, really, by Lieutenant Smythe, who um, was first officer. And um, he had prevented a lot of scurvy by getting them exercised. Um, he had entertained the crew. He, he was the prime mover. Back was a bit sit, sit, sit in his cabin and give the orders, and they called him beck and call. There's a fascinating go-between in the times. Well, when she ends up going into Loch Swilly, completely broken with chains around the bottom, she was taking up eight foot this of is water the, an hour. This is her return to him. Ireland yeah. after the after the uh, being uh, stuck and, in the ice. And Smythe got them through the endurance wall many times, and one of the ways was by singing. That they they had a guy who had worked on the plantations and knew some Negro slave songs. And there's that famous song, Round the Corner, Sally, which I love. And um, it's actually recorded in the Times. They were singing Round the Corner, Sally. But it was illegal to sing on duty in the Navy. But, you know, back did condescend because Smythe said it's the only way we can survive. And they, they got her into Loxwilly. Again, she, she was classified as a wreck, but um, she what, wasn't. What were you saying talking about the chain and breaking, breaking her back? What was um, on that? The back end of the boat in the ice became completely crushed and moved, like 10 inches. Right. And to keep it all in place, they put chains around. And if you study, there were some good artists on board Terra over the years. And if you look at some of the pictures, there's some good pictures of her coming back across the Atlantic with asymmetric sails. She had stuntsels at one side. On port side, nothing at starboard side. And that was because there was no rudder. They had a spare rudder which they put on, but it was completely useless. You know, they had to say use the asymmetry of the sails to steer. To steer her. And um, and she just and that we, was all because of being crushed in the ice. It kind of raises the question: what what actually happens to a vessel like Terra when it gets stuck in the ice? Well, there's big sort of growing compressive forces, and the best ones 
are designed to try and pop up. That uh, their whole shape allows them to pop yeah. up. So they, but there are limits, and um, Terra did pop up, and they actually made forges on the ice to make saws. You know, thirty foot long to saw her out of the ice. Mm. You know, the endurance and work. You know, damn the lead killing. I mean, he only lost two or three men, but um, you know, the, just the endurance and survival was yeah. incredible. You know, pitch blackness for you know. So with, with no it. rudder, a broken stern, leaking. Heading for Sheerness, Smythe pleaded, said, look, we've just got to hit shore. And they went into the west coast of Ireland yeah. and hit Locksworthy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, then the, the terror survived to fight another day. I mean, she, was, she was back out again with Ross. She did survive, yeah. Thank goodness, yeah. 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 And, and after that voyage, you know, you had some fascinating things. Um, a chap called King... Um, who had worked under Ross and others, he made a bit of a living giving lectures on the Inuit. Because at stages around Terra, they had 30, 40 kayaks, you know, the Inuit. And they they didn't know the difference between bartering and taking. But um, they, um, they, they traded everything they could with them for either clothing or artefacts, you know, Inuit. Mm. Right. I wonder if they sailed... With items that they were going to trade, did they go prepared to trade? Well, with, with the, with the, that came later when they went to the Antarctic. They had lots and lots of mirrors to trade in the Antarctic. That's interesting. That was with Ross's expedition. We'll talk about that in a sec. But and that they, maybe they'd learned something from from back and and their experiences with the. Well, that's why they yeah they yeah. took him yeah yeah and they learned things like because the Terror had some great characters and entertainers on board. And um, one thing the Inuit did, the kids had a passion for ventriloquy. Right. <laughs> the officers used to take that. And this all came out in the winter. They would have rat performances. Do you know what a rat is? A rat? Yeah, something that runs around the bottom of a boat. <laughs> or it's the Royal Arctic Theatre. Ah. So, so it comes to Rost and then the... Yeah, well, it, it still comes to John Barrow... And um, he was secretary, the boss man of the Admiralty, and believed in Polynesia, along with a lot of academics and scientists about about um, the inner sea theory. And um, you know, Scrollsby had found out with soundings that the sea was warmer down below than up top, and they were they they were convinced that there was an inner warm sea. And he he, he set up the um, Antarctic expedition. And um, they set off, and they went to return to Blighty for over four years. They made three voyages into the Antarctic. This is under Ross. Yeah, coming out of the Antarctic to, um, you know, the southern... Winter to winter either in Tasmania, where Franklin was the boss and Lady Franklin, or um, they went to the Falklands on the way out as well. And then going back into the ice. Into yeah, the ice yeah. yeah during, they didn't return back from the Falklands. But they, during the yeah, summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Franklin's Governor General of Tasmania, and Ross is down that way because he's exploring the Antarctic yeah. in the Terror. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, 
one of the first things he hears is um, the Americans have been down there and um, the enemy of the only Navy that doesn't have to say where it comes from, the Royal Navy. But anyway, Ross sets off on the most amazing voyage of exploration ever into the Antarctic. And at the end of it, it was the last ever voyage of exploration under sail alone. Wow. And it, it achieved an awful lot. And on success, it was Terra's probably biggest plus points. In experience, it was just all part of the long stories. But, you know, one of the first things they do in um, 1839, they start, they're into the circle, the Antarctic Circle, and they come across icebergs. And on the 3rd of January, they do another innovation. They do soundings two and a half miles down. Wow. And sophisticated soundings with temperature and salinity. And, um, And they also see a a Ross seal, and there's lots of, I just love the concept of maritime history, but if ever you see a picture of Ross's voyages, you'll see a little seal in the picture, and that's a Ross seal, because one of the first things the naturalists found were um, a new type of seal, which they named the Ross seal. And there they were, laden up with mirrors to go and see the southern Eskimos. I'm desperate to go and find a painting of the Ross Voyage now. I want to see that seal. That's the great... And the, the sounding's extraordinary as well, just, you know, the technological, the change. Um, but they, 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 um, you said that they, 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 they travelled down with, uh, with mirrors to trade, yeah. to trade with... with yeah, well, one of the primary reasons they went was Gauss's worldwide thing, the um, magnetic poles. And they were after... The, Ross had already been to the magnetic north pole, yep. not with Terra or Erebus. But he he was after the, um, and again, coding. If ever you see a portrait of Ross, you'll see a a, a dipper, you know, um, I was going to bring one over, um, that shows the magnetic dip and where the pole is. So they're measuring the magnetic field down in in the Antarctic? Yeah, where the magnetic north is, which is obviously moving, yeah. And, And they did all sorts of discovery, and they went where no one had been before. And they knew it when they were going there. And um, the knowledge, they didn't, at that point in time, it wasn't known if, and even up to 50 years later, they didn't know if Greenland was an island. They didn't know if the North Pole or the South Pole were land or water, or in fact, the North, you could say, is an island that's floating. And... um, they were the first to actually barge in. And people like Amundsen and Scott, if you read their books, they say Terra and Erebus. The, the, the men on there were the true heroes. They were the ones that really kind of laid the foundation. Focus, so they did notice, things first. For yeah. you, not us. And that was the attitude. They were all eccentrics. They were on double pay, you know, £600 per annum for a skipper, you know, Crozier and... Um, and Ross was a lot of money. You know, the, the chap who made the the ex- exhibition in London with the big Crystal Palace, he only had £500 a year. You know, you, you could afford five servants in a big house on £500 a year. 
And it's coming with, well, extreme risks. Of course, yeah. They, they, they were going into dangerous water. But where Amundsen is very complimentary was the fact they were going into the unknown. And everybody preceding them had been scared. And it was another 50 years before any other ship went into that. I, I think we're coming out to Shackleton's time before anybody went yeah. into the Weddell Sea. Would you say it so quite they, simply? They're deliberately sailing a wooden vessel into an ice pack. Yeah. And but the, not been, you know, the best, most uncelebrated, but should be the most celebrated ship of um, the Andrew, the Navy. So they come back into Blighty more than four years out. And um, where are they, they, they getting their extra stores from? Well, Is from, that from Franklin in, in yeah. Tasmania or in, the in, Yeah, there's a few stories about them. Um, shooting beef in um, in the Falklands, yeah. Um, but on the way back, you know, you mentioned boxhauling, and there's a picture of the Wickham here with um, the Medina built-in option boxhauling. But Ross did a boxhaul to rescue the Erebus, which sailing towards the Falklands after the third Antarctic voyage, sailing home. The, the queue, the, when they got to the Falklands, Ross considered going back and the crew were, were almost mutinous. <laughs> We've done it three times, we're not going to do it four. But they had a bit of an experience as they left the ice. They were sailing at night and suddenly both ships came across a huge great iceberg and... Um, Terror collided with Erebus, and there were serious consequences. The bowsprit came down, which meant the foremast was in jeopardy. Yeah. The whole sides of the ship were virtually wrecked. And Terror found a hole through the ice, and Ross was bashing up on a lee shore of ice, and he boxed all the ship. Out, which sailed it backwards. And the, Let's just explain what a box hall is for well, people the, who don't understand. It's like to, it's, to go through the wind, to get into the wind, you've got three chances. You've got you can jibe round, go downhill, which you lose a lot of ground, or you can tack round. But those ships got caught in irons, and the tacking angles were too big. Or you can box hall, a bit like parking backwards is so much easier. You would set the sails up backwards, you'd get a sailing backwards, then you'd bring the bow over with asymmetric sails again, and you'd sail off on the other tank. Bit like a handbrake turn. It's a kind of an extreme manoeuvre for a square-rig sailing vessel that's neither attack nor aware. This would be two ships with night watch on. I'd just like to read um, Jack Davis, some consider the best artist who went on terror, but um, I wouldn't necessarily agree. And he's writing to his sister, Emily. Um, not the slightest idea of what he did during the time or how we got through. The men on the whole behaved very well throughout. So now you've got to bear in mind, these guys have been called up sort of semi-naked, not with winter clothing on, you know, real accident stations alert. Plus they would have heard all the noise and they wouldn't have been need to have the ships warned. Very terrifying, yeah. The men on the whole behaved very well throughout. Only one was running about out of his senses, but two or three were crying. 
It was truly the time when shrieked the timid and stood still the brave. Now, you've got to bear in mind, these chaps have done three voyages to the Antarctic. They've seen a bit in their time. I looked round me when the first blue light was burnt. And that was the warning signal vessel to vessel. They realised they'd both got through the gap in the ice. And when they burnt the blue light, he saw the ghastly appearance of everyone's face in which horror and despair was pictured. The half-naked forms of the men thrown out by the strong light. Oh, it was horrible, truly horrible. That time will never be effaced from my memory. After daylight, and we had signalised with the Erebus, I went to my cabin. And never did a sinner offer up to the throne of the Almighty more sincere thanks for the reprieve granted to us. Vobus non nobus, for you, not us. So after Ross, then um, Franklin gets sent up to try and find the Northwest Passage. And well, he, he virtually gets the sack as Governor-General. Right. And then, you know, over 50, old man, um, he, 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 he does get called up because he's got Arctic experience. Ross refused to do the job. And they've got this idea of Erebus and Terra being fitted with steam engines. And they are. And having extra thick yeah. copper and iron put in a, they still had the same stove system as Ross had. They still had the same tin cans. Um, they left. A again, Terror was towed by the um, first steam paddle steamer in the Navy, up, right up the east coast of England, part of the voyage. The, the three of them went. There was a, a freight ship went up as well. Um, they they went to Disco in Greenland, sent letters home. So Disco's an island off the west coast of Greenland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they sailed from there into the pack and and um, are not seen again, more or yeah. less. Yeah. But, but one of the reasons they were summoned up there was reports of whalers at the time that all the ice was melting. Because yeah. it's cyclical. You know, it comes and it goes. And... Um, You've always got to treat it with respect. Yeah. Well, a magnificent career for a fascinating ship. And um, I still can't quite believe that she was built in Topsham. And I'd, I'd, um, I'm often asked, you know, if you want to go back in time, to wh where would you go and what would you like to see? I think I'd like to come to Topsham in about, you know, the yeah. early years of the 19th century and look at all of the amazing shipbuilding. It'd be yeah. so different. Yeah. 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 And we've got Exeter Canal. If you go up the canal, I think Stuart Line are doing... Um, trips up there fairly regularly or once a week and other than the electric pylons when you go up through the canal looking at the Georgian terraces in Exeter and the cathedral you could put your mind back to those days yeah yeah that's um, the first canal built in England it was the first canal but the bottom but 1827 James Green extension was um an extension yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to bring you all um, some interesting facts about the Exeter ship canal in the next few weeks as well. Um, that's it, Ed. Thank you so much for telling us all about the terror. Bye. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Do please find us on social media. The Society for Nautical Research has a Twitter account at Nautical History and a Facebook page. And the Mariner's Mirror podcast has a YouTube channel and Instagram. It's all full of the most wonderful material. Got some very exciting animations already up there and more stuff coming soon. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference as to how we rank on the History podcasts. And best of all, please join the Society for Nautical Research. You can do so at snr.org.uk and your subscription fee will go towards nothing less than publishing the most important maritime history and towards preserving our maritime past.